0: So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. The grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of us gathered here and all of God's people in God's good world, worshiping in many, many places. Today, I want to not only welcome you into the next part of our study, but also those who are in our Family Life Center, the rest of our church family and and our extended family who are watching online, we welcome you as a part of our JCBC family and are grateful that you would be tuning in with us. Uh, As we prepare, I'm gonna encourage you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. And as you're finding your way to Matthew chapter 11, I just wanna add one word. Uh, If you're in the Family Life Center, you heard David talking about this this morning. If you're in the sanctuary, you you heard Michael talking about this. I just wanna add another layer of uh, encouragement for those of you who are considering our night of worship on the 15th of this month, 6 o'clock p.m. on a Sunday night, but here's how I want you to think about that. Yes, it's a night where we're going to gather in the Family Life Center and have amazing worship opportunities there. We'll have scripture, and I'll offer a word of encouragement. We will sing. With our whole hearts, we will sing. But I don't want you to think of this as just another event to attend. And, and I don't want you to just invite someone to it because it's one more thing on our calendar I want you to tune in to what you heard Michael say a moment ago what you heard David say in the FLC a moment ago the theme of this particular night of worship is mountains and valleys I want you prayerfully and worshipfully today to think about is there anybody in your life who may be struggling to find joy because of where they are on life's journey anyone who feels like they may be doing it alone anyone who feels isolated anyone who may be going through a thing and in the valley of where they were they may imagine that there is no hope ahead i want you to think about them and i want you to invite them because that night we are going to consider the good news that no matter where we are we have company and that company gives joy it infuses life with purpose. I want you to bring somebody who needs that message on the 15th that night. It's going to be encouragement for all of us. But for now, I want you to turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 11, and we have one verse, one verse for today, and I want you to hear these words. Let them fall on your ears. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come. Come. Come to me. Come to me, all you that are weary. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens. And I will give you rest. This is the reading of sacred scripture. It's reliable and it can be trusted. Let's now go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, is this just an empty promise? Are these just words on a page, black ink on white paper, pixels on a screen? Or is there something true about your invitation to come? To come and not just come, but bring all that weighs down the heart everything that makes people weary because if the invitation is true that you can give rest I pray that for your worshipers gathered here and gathered in a million places around your world today I pray that this would be found to be true somebody somewhere and maybe even here and maybe even now can feel relief from a burden because you have lifted it from their hearts. Lord, we are in a broken world and you see this and we are the ones who contribute to its brokenness. So in worship, we confess to you that we are culpable. But if for just a few moments, you, you would allow us to, to lay our burden before you, we believe that we might see and hear and experience something in you that transforms something in us. And when we leave this place, by your grace and with your help, we will partner with you in repairing the world. So we are listening and we are dialed into you right now and pray that you would do something in us today. Come, Holy Spirit, our hearts inspire, and fill us with your holy fire. For if you are with us, then nothing else matters. But if you are not with us, then nothing else matters. In the name of Christ and for the sake of the world, we pray, amen. If I were to mention a name to you, the name Stefani Joanne Angelina Germanotta. Would you, would you know that name Stefani Joanna or Joanne Angelina Germanotta? Anybody know that name? There you go, John Hudson, with the answer. With the clincher, Lady Gaga. You may know her by her stage name, Lady Gaga. Here's a picture or two. Lady Gaga, known for her boisterous, flamboyant edge. Lady Gaga, known for uh, pushing the envelope, and her, her entertainment, her shows are out of this world. She's known for flashy outfits and crazy hairdos. She has sold 146 million singles. Lady Gaga has six Grammy Awards. 40 million followers on Twitter, 55 million uh, fans on Facebook. If you were to Google the phrase, uh, Lady Gaga changed my life, you'd have multiple millions of hits on Google. And her following, for the most part, is made up of folks who for some reason connect with her. And a marketing analyst once described it this way, most of her fan base can be described with this phrase, and I love it. Misfits and outcasts. Misfits and outcasts. And in an interview that she conducted with with MTV, she once described why that may be so. She said, because I was a misfit. I was an outcast. She told the story of one day in high school, some boys uh, throwing her into a trash can. And all the school buses were driving by and they were all laughing at her in this trash can and she kind of had this nervous laugh too because what are you going to do but kind of laugh with and along and at yourself until these two girls came up to her and imagine the scene for just a moment. She's in a trash can and and she she said these two girls come up and say, look at you, you are pathetic. Think for just a moment with me about how that impacts someone's orientation to life itself. Well, in the interview, this is what she said. She said, you know what, I love my fans because my fans, listen to these words, my fans are all misfits. My fans are all the misfits, all the kids everybody made fun of in school, all the weird kids, the artistic kids, all the bad ones. And I love that because that's who I was. We're all together, and and they get it. It's our own little world. When I read that interview, you know what occurred to me? I I get that. Because of a deep belief I have, which which is this. Everybody wants to belong to somebody, sometimes. Everybody wants to belong to somebody sometime. Hard-wired into every human being is a longing for belonging. It's not just in some of us, it's in every one of us. We all want to connect, to be known, to know. We want to fit in, we want to belong. And every one of us has some kind of obstacle That keeps us from truly feeling or belonging at times. In many ways, I might even say it this way. If we're really honest about this, we are all misfits and outcasts. It's just that some of us are better at hiding it. Some of us are better at camouflaging it. If you have money, you can hide it. If you have talent, you can hide it. If you have a skill, if you're impressive, if you can do something that distracts the world around you from seeing what you're carrying around inside you, well then, you can camouflage the reality that much of the time you move through life alone. I mean, think about this for just a moment. You you can be impressive, you can achieve, you can accomplish, you can be unique, you can be the one everybody goes to for help, and nobody knows that on the inside you're carrying around this deep abiding shame. You could be someone people go to because you're reliable. You've got the information. You're the loyal friend. You could be the one who everybody wants to hang out with because you're the class clown. You tell the good joke. You're the one who always takes adventure because people just want to be with you on the weekend. You're that fun. And at the same time, it's possible for no one to know that what's driving all of that is a deep abiding fear. What if I lose it all? Or what if I never had it? It might be that you're you're such a good leader, people look at you and you're like, we want this person in charge, she's a leader, we want to get behind her because she can take charge. Or this person is able to make people come together. She's able to make people see both sides of a thing. Or this person is able to just make the thing better. Everything that he touches seems to to be improved and reformed and better and not know all along the way that there is hidden in you a deep and abiding anger that's driving all of it. See, we can all be misfits and outcasts. It's just that we perfect the capacity to put a persona up that keeps people from really seeing and all the while we move through life isolated and it feels at times, can feel to somebody somewhere that you're the loneliest person on the planet. Everybody wants to belong to somebody sometimes. This is why this series that we're doing is so important. It's huge. It's, it's so important because we've been talking about what is it about this church that makes us different? What is it that makes us unique? What are the core convictions and, and the values and the principles that shape who we are as a community of believers, a community of faith? And we've covered a lot of ground. We've talked about how Christ is the foundation. We talked about some of our Baptist freedoms, how we come to this thing with an open Bible and an open mind. We talked about excellence in worship. We talked about how we value theological depth and diversity. But today's core value that we're talking about this morning may be the most important one that somebody here ever hears. Because we have said here for a long time at Johns Creek Baptist that we value authentic christian community authentic christian community but what does that mean this is what we mean when we say we value christian community authentic christian community listen to these words Hmm. believing we are all imperfect people with unfinished stories and further believing that our Lord welcomed all such people with a radical hospitality and loved all persons without limitations, we value authentic Christian community where any and all of God's beloved may belong. We value the Christian community where all of God's beloved may belong. Do you know, this is part of what has shaped who we have been for many, many years. Every time I ever ask you a question, whether it's one-on-one in a conversation or in a group or in a small group, a large group, every time I ask you something like, hey, why do you come here? When I ask you, hey, why did you come and why are you staying? What is it about this place? Within three, four minutes, inevitably, this answer emerges. It's because of the community that we sense here with one another. See, sometimes people will come to a church because of a preacher, but that's not why they stay at the church. (laughs) Lord knows that's not why they stay at the church. They may come for the preacher, they may come for the music, but they stay because somebody saw them and refused to ignore them. I can't tell you how many stories I have heard from you about you I went through the disease, and, and they, they wouldn't stop calling or checking in on me. I went up to and through and after the funeral of the one who I lost, and no matter where I turned, left or right, I kept running into somebody from JCBC who refused to forget about me. And they would come, and they would say, look, I don't have any words. I have no words that can make you feel better, but I'm not going anywhere, and you're not going through this alone. I am here until the very end. Because you know, in fact, this morning, I wasn't going to say this, but this morning, I'm walking around to our Sunday school communities. And I'm listening to the conversations taking place as people are arriving for Sunday school. And these are a couple of the words that I literally heard this morning. Oh, so good to see you. I didn't think that we would see you. You must be feeling better. Did, did you get over the sickness? Are you, are you better now? How was the checkup? I heard one person say, thank you for that card you sent me? It was the most beautiful card I have ever received. I heard another say, hey, this is a new couple first time in our Sunday school class and I watched them surrounded by people who loved them into that classroom. See, in our church to pay attention to one another is why we are here because everybody wants to belong to somebody sometimes. So what is it that we do or what should we do to make sure that this value, this part of our DNA, part of how we're wired, continues to grow? How do we still become a church that grows in our Christian community with one another so that those outside these doors who have never experienced it will find in this place a safe harbor, a refuge, a sanctuary of of human hearts? Well, I suggest that the way we do it Is by practicing what what Diana uh, Butler Bass refers to as the great reversal. Now, I'm going to give you a few notes to take. So if you're a note taker, you probably should have done some stretching today so you don't pull a muscle because there's some stuff I want you to know because if it comes down to creating and cultivating and nurturing and maintaining and sustaining a Christian community where every one of God's beloved may belong it will mean that we practice the great reversal. In her book Christianity After Religion Diana Butler Bass refers to a kind of pathway that we have practiced for about 500 years about how to become part of a church that there's a particular kind of pathway to belonging. And we've not really said it this way. It's not like it was something that was on purpose. But over the past 500 years, there was kind of a way that people learned that they could belong in a church. There were certain things that took place first. Interesting. And the way she puts it, and you could put it this way, you could say the pathway looked like this. The pathway to belonging looked like this. Believe. Behave. Belong. And in that order, flawed as it is, and that's the argument I will make this morning, flawed as it is, that has been the pathway. Let me summarize what that means. That means if you believe the right things, if you say the right things, check the right boxes, say yes to the right questions, if you believe a certain set of doctrinal statements, if you believe the right things, and if you learn to behave the right way, well, then you can belong to us. Believe, and that'll lead to behaving, and if you get belief and behavior down pat, well, then you can belong. And it's not hard to know why we got into that unhealthy pattern to belonging. In the early 1500s, first part of the 16th century, there was a little spat called the Protestant Reformation. (laughs) We're getting over it now. But there was a stronghold that at the time the Roman Catholic Church had on what it meant to belong, to belong to God, to belong to each other. And Martin Luther, among others, began to read in Ephesians and in Galatians that there's a certain freedom and began to interpret a kind of dignity of soul that we are saved by grace through faith and that it's possible to know and be known by God individually without anybody standing in between you. Well, that struck a firestorm throughout Europe. and, and oh, Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and and all the reformers began to create, watch this, belief systems that identified who's on what team, who goes in what dugout. Because these are the things that we believe, but those guys over there, they believe something completely different. And it got so fierce, the, the, the differences, that wars were fought. Wars were fought over belief systems so it became very important for a period of time to know that belief comes first we believe these things so that i can belong to you but the problem is that is a really bad way to belong to anything belief is important and behaving is super important but can i get you to just think about a baby for a minute how does a baby belong? Well, by getting born. <laughs> it's born. When a baby is born, that baby does nothing to earn her belonging. She doesn't articulate a set of beliefs that qualifies her in order to belong to that family. The baby is born, and because the baby is vulnerable and weak and in need of protection, the family says, This baby. Belongs to us, we will protect, raise it, love it, grow it. And watch what happens. Because she is born into belonging, she grows up learning certain behaviors. She learns very early, by the time she's one, two, two years old, that, hey, you know, when it gets dark outside, we all go to bed. And when the sun comes up in the morning, well, this family, we have certain behaviors. I belong to this family, and in belonging, we have certain behaviors. We brush our teeth, we make our bed, we go to school. We... So a set of behaviors begins to become learned because of first belonging to the family. And then in time, after years of behaving, certain beliefs emerge out of the behaving. Like, oh, so that's what a husband and wife Look like. Oh, that's how you do relationships. Oh, this is what happens when you make a mistake and you 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 confess I was wrong and you ask apology. This is what we do with our time. Oh, this is how this family believes in spending its money and where to invest its time and energy. Oh, these beliefs have emerged because I have been behaving to a family in which I have always belonged. Is this this why when Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, Nicodemus says, you're you're really intriguing in these teachings, but tell me, what am I missing? What, What must I do to inherit the kingdom? And Jesus doesn't say to him, well, you have to believe this set of 12 doctrinal principles. He doesn't say you need to change your behavior because you've been misbehaving for a long time, Nicodemus. No, This guy's an expert, a member of the Sanhedrin. He knows the law. He knows the Torah. He knows how to practice disciplines that have been handed to him for years. Instead, Jesus says to Nicodemus, what you need to do is you must be born again. Because in being born, there's a vulnerability and a weakness in which you recognize, I belong to someone. And in belonging to that someone, I yield all of my control to that someone, and I will let that someone show me how to behave. And then out of that experience, I will articulate all kinds of beliefs because I once was lost, and now I'm found. See? We have to practice the great reversal, and do you know why? Why? it's not just because it's going to take work not just because there's a hurting world out there and they will never walk in these doors if they feel like they have to put on some kind of air put on some kind of belief they have to clean up their life first before they come they will never come but if they know that there is a safe place where they can belong and we work out our messy imperfect unfinished lives together we may have a shot and you know why we do this because this was the way of jesus jesus never walked up to anyone and said to them you know what i think that you would be good for my team i just need to ask you a few qualifying questions jesus went up to fishers and said to them look follow me and i will make you fish in a way like you've never fished before jesus went up to people like matthew who's belief system was well the empire is in charge so i'm going to go ahead and draw a paycheck from them i'll be a tax collector for rome and jesus comes up and says there's another way to exist in this world you don't have to belong to that death system you can belong with me follow me he goes to zacchaeus talk about someone who misbehaved zacchaeus was was extorting people out of their money a tax, a crooked tax collector and Jesus says, even before Zacchaeus cleaned his life up, even when he was imperfect and unfinished, Jesus comes to Zacchaeus and says, I want to have supper at your place tonight. Why? Because even in your misbehaving, you are still beloved by God. And I am here to establish a kingdom in which all of God's beloved may belong. And in the midst of belonging, transformation began to emerge and And pride would begin to melt away and ego began to disappear until, well, he has himself a church. See, Jesus never invited anyone to a system of belief. Jesus invited them to belong to a new way of existing in the world. So in the first chapter of John, for example, this is a great story. John the Baptist is there with his disciples, and he's he's got two disciples with him, and Jesus walks by, and John the Baptist says, oh, look, the Lamb of God, behold, or something like that. (laughs) Behold, the Lamb of God. So the two disciples begin to follow him. Jesus picks up on the vibe that somebody's following him, so he turns as if to say, what? What is it? What do you want? And then awkwardly, they're like, oh, that's nothing. No, they were, John was like, there's the Lamb of God. We're like, where? Oh, you know. But while we're at it, let's have a conversation. Rabbi, where, where are you staying tonight? And at first, it seems as if they're changing the subject. Like, oh, where are you staying? Where, where are you sleeping? But a nuance of the Greek reveals that, that what they're asking is, where are you encamped? Where are you camped out? Rabbi... We know that to follow particular rabbis, it means that each rabbi has his own system of belief and behaving. So where are you camped on all the issues? Where are you camped on Rome? Where are you camped on Torah? Where are you camped on temple piety? Where are you camped on the issues? And they ask basically of Jesus a belief question. But Jesus doesn't give them a belief answer. He gives them a belonging answer. You know what he says? Come and see. But i got to work some of this stuff out first. No, we work it out on the road. Come and see. Or maybe the best belief, dismantling of the belief, uh, behave, belong paradigm was in Peter. Peter, Jesus says, who, who do people say that I am? And Peter said, well, some say you're a prophet or Elijah or maybe, maybe John the Baptist, come back from the dead. And Jesus says, but Peter, who Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, I I say that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. So Jesus says to Peter these words, you are rock. And on this rock, I will build my church to you. I will give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And many believe, of course, that Peter then was established as the first patriarch or or father of Rome, the first pope in many many ways to think of it. And if you go to Rome today, you can go to the St. Peter's Basilica and look up above where Peter is literally buried and see in these seven-foot gold letters in Latin, you are the rock on this rock, I will build my church. And if you back up from it and look at that story I just told you, you would think that that is a belief story. Peter, who do you say that I am? I believe you're the Christ. It looks like a belief story, and it is. Because belief matters. But it's easy to forget that he didn't come to that belief in a vacuum. That belief, that Petron confession, we call it, came after years of walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, living, breathing, eating, sleeping, drinking, laughing, grieving with Jesus, sacrificing with Jesus, and at the end of, watch, belonging to Jesus, at the end of years of behaving with Jesus, came this belief, thou the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you and I are to be the beloved community that welcomes all of God's beloved in this place, it means that we must practice the great reversal. What would that look like at Johns Creek Baptist? To practice the great reversal. It means that we work at remembering that we belong first. And in our belonging it may be that it starts with asking yourself, do you know that you belong? The verse that I read a little while ago from Matthew, chapter 11, come unto me all who are weary and heavy, carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. It might be that you don't know that that actually applies to you. Because you've masked your burden, you have perfected a persona, and you have not allowed yourself to actually become vulnerable, transparent, broken enough to take a risk at belonging with others. Because you look around and you see uh, some capable, gifted, talented, well-polished people, because guess what? They've got personas too. But what if somebody let this thing crack right down the middle, what if just a crack is all it took to let the light shine in and we recognize every single one of us wants to belong, but you can't belong until you're vulnerable and weak and broken. See, for some, to belong here means you gotta come to grips with the reality that this is your home too. And maybe today you need to walk forward and say, I'm here, I'm in. But it's not just about belonging for yourself to truly be a community in which we value belonging above the other or first, primary, before the other, it means you got to realize that verse doesn't just apply to you. It applies to the one who disturbs you. It applies to the one who disturbs you. Romans chapter 12, listen to these words. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Beloved, you belong to one another. You belong to one another. That means I am responsible for you and you are responsible for me. I am responsible for refusing to allow you to go through life alone and you are responsible for your sister and brother. Or, or what about in Galatians chapter 3, we hear these powerful words. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves in Christ... There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Do you see what Holy Scripture is attempting to draw us in to, to understand is that we belong to Christ and we belong to each other. But that means every time we gather here on Sundays or any other time through the week, we have to work at remembering, I belong, but so do others who are not like me. I'm unfinished, but so are they. I am imperfect, but so are they. And I have enough imperfection in me to only spend my entire lifetime working on my own imperfections, and I won't worry about their imperfections. I will let Christ worry about their imperfections, and together we are transformed That means you will park in this parking lot next to a car that has a bumper sticker with a different color on it. Let's just put it that way. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Because this must be a place where all of God's beloved belong. So what's it look like to belong? It looks kind of like that. What's it look like to behave? Because behavior and belief matter. Well, it it means this. If you belong... Well, that shapes how you behave. So behave like you belong. What's it look like to behave like you belong? That means if I belong to Christ and I belong to you, that shapes everything I think, say, feel. Imagine, it shapes what I post online. It shapes how I speak to a stranger, how I disagree with an enemy. It shapes everything. My behavior emerges out of who it is I belong to. That means I'm going to come here every Sunday. That means I'm going to be here so I can look somebody in the face and and marvel at what God may be doing in them, but also be present in case they are so broken that they can't see it. That means in Sunday school, I will gather around an open Bible with an open mind with others in my class so that we share burdens. That means that I will shape my behavior around my My income and what I do in the building of God's kingdom, because if I belong, that shapes how I behave in every conceivable way. So, how does it affect how we believe? Well, if we belong and that belonging, that beloved belongedness, shapes how we behave, then that behavior shapes what we believe. That means we gather in Sunday school, we gather around this word, and we struggle to understand its meaning. We bring our doubts, we bring our convictions, we bring our core uh, passions to do what Paul said in Philippians 2, verse 12, to work out our own salvation in fear and trembling. So that when we leave this place every week, because we have belonged and because we have behaved by getting here and studying and opening the word and worshiping and serving, then we come to the place where we say, you know what, because all this has been in place, I believe that in Jesus Christ sins can be forgiven. I believe that he came to give us eternal life, but that eternal life starts right now so that it becomes the abundant life that lives forever and ever. I believe because of who I belong to that we ought to, to serve one another and care for not only our neighbor, but love our enemy. See, all these beliefs emerge not in a vacuum, but out of because of who we belong to. Just ask the man who was late in life, an elderly man, old man, his wife had died. His sons and daughters and grandchildren had all moved away. He was so lonely that he could barely muster the energy or effort to go to church anymore, so for several weeks he had stopped coming. So he sat most evenings in front of his fireplace on a rocker in complete silence someone in his church who saw him and noticed his absence from church told the pastor the pastor goes to make a visit knocks on the door he hears from the other side of the door the doors open he opens the door the pastor walks in pulls up a chair beside him sitting in front of the fireplace takes his coat off his hat off and sits down next to the man they barely say anything through the entire visit they just sit and share space. Eventually the pastor reached forward and and he grabs the poker that's beside the hearth and he, he reaches into the fire to stoke it a little bit and at one point he pulls one of the embers out of the fire just to the edge of the hearth so it's separated from the rest of the fire and they just watch it for a minute. And what was once glowing and inflamed became cool and gray. And after a few moments, sitting, watching, all the pastor did was take the poker and gently nudge the ember back toward the fire. And as it gets closer and closer, it goes inside the fire and is engulfed in heat again, engulfed in fire and energy and and glowing red embers. Well, he puts the poker back up, gets his hat and his coat without saying a word, begins to walk toward the door And just before he walks out the door, the man turns and says, Good sermon, pastor. Hmm. I'll see you Sunday. Do you know why we must practice the great reversal? Do you know why we must practice the hard and worthy work of belonging first so that belonging leads to behaving and behaving to belief that can rock the world. Do you know why? Because we are that kind of church. Amen. Let's pray. God, we stop for a moment just to acknowledge to you that you are the Lord of life, the foundation upon which this church is built, the chief cornerstone, the head of the body of the church, And we recognize, Lord, that you have come, that all people may may belong in in your good kingdom that you've established. Show us, Lord, what it looks like to practice this great reversal. Show us what it looks like not only to become vulnerable and open and broken enough to belong ourselves, but show us what it looks like and how... uh, what bravery and courage it will require to be a community of belonging for our neighbors around us. Today, someone here needs to hear that, Lord. And we pray that right now, as your spirit moves in and among us, there may be something of a courage that emerges in somebody's heart today, that they may step forward and yield their lives to the impulse of your love that is surging through this room, on this campus, and in this age. We pray that you would move now as we sing in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen.